Hello and welcome to a very special WDF World Championship preview edition of the podcast. It's taken a couple of years to get there, but the WDF World Championship is finally rapidly approaching us and will be taking place from the 2nd to the 10th of April. This episode is going to break down every game in the tournament. I'm delighted to be joined by a man who will be making his World Championship debut in a matter of days' time now, Nasha John-Scott. John, how are you? Hello, yeah, very good, yeah. Just uh, feel the, the butterflies kicking in a little bit towards the coming towards the end of the week, um, but I'm sure uh, once I'll... Uh, once I get up on that stage, I'll be uh, just uh, just happy to be there and and do what I can. You were on the podcast, you know, only about six weeks ago now, after your title win in Iceland, and at that point, you weren't in the World Championship. But then it all changed. So when you got the call earlier this month, what what were the emotions like? Well, I was actually at a, at a county game at the time and um, got a phone call. I see. Um, Nick Roll's name pump up on the phone. I had to quickly rush outside to, to take the call. I'd seen uh, perhaps a week before that um, there was an announcement that the Russian players had, had been uh, withdrawn from the tournament. So bearing in mind that I had been first reserve since sort of December, um, I kind of had an idea that I might get the call. But again, having had um, that same assumption after a number of players got their tour cards and ending up disappointed, um, I wasn't going to count any chickens. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a dream since I've been playing darts. So, you know, of course, um, I accepted and uh, I'm, you know delighted to be to be part of the event. You've touched on it there, and I don't want to dwell on it too much. But of course, you got that spot because you know, Alexei Kodotchnikov, Roman Ubikov in the men's, and then, you know, Anastasia Dobromislova, Elena Shulgina were withdrawn from the ladies. Now, that has obviously been a source of debate, frustration, antagonism over the last few weeks. I can understand why the WDF have made that decision. You know, they're trying to make darts an Olympic sport. Now, whether they'll ever get there is a discussion for another day, but they're trying to follow that path. So they're trying to follow the lead of the IOC, and I can get in the Olympics, for example, where, yes, it's individuals for the most part, but you're still contributing to Russia's overall medal tally. So I can get why there's restrictions there. But in a sport like darts, which is in theory a, a wholly solo enterprise, it does seem harsh to punish those players, especially, you know, obviously Anastasia lives here. So she's been the the focus of most of the, the comments. But, I mean, even someone like Alexei, for example... He got to the quarterfinals of the 2020 Dutch Open and, you know, he won an event in Hungary last year. So he had actually travelled to support the tour. You know, it wasn't just like he was a, a regional qualifier. So it's a difficult one. And obviously it's it's difficult for you because them being withdrawn has, has benefited you and given you the chance to realise that, that childhood dream. But I suppose the way you got in, did that, that change the way you felt slightly? Um, yes and no. I mean... Obviously, what's going on in Ukraine at the moment is, is terrible. And um, it's, as I say, like you've said, a number of sports have, have taken that view to to ban uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes, if you will. Um, as I say, it was it's, it's harsh on the individuals because, like you say, they have worked very hard to get there and... You know, to have that taken away through no fault of their own by a decision made by their government or and what's going on in their country is will be devastating to them. You know, they they don't necessarily not involved in it, particularly for Anastasia who lives here. Um, I mean, there, there's a question whether those who live in Russia would have been able to travel over here anyway. Um, so perhaps it was a little bit to do with both. To be honest, it's not my place to comment on it. I've obviously benefited from that decision and I feel sorry for those who have, who have worked hard and qualified for it because, as I say, if I was in that position, I would be gutted. But, you know, from, from a selfish point of view, I have to take the opportunity where I can... Well, been offered it. That's really all I can do mm. um, for myself. Now, your second game on, on the, the Saturday, and I know you'd have liked to be a little bit later on so you could enjoy the, the atmosphere and whatever first before playing, but 
you're also the top tie in the draw because you know the winner of your game against Johnny Haynes goes on to, to play Brian Roman. So let's start off there. You and Johnny actually know each other, don't you? We both won our tour cards at uh, Q School in 2012, and um, I've known him through local events. And for a long time, Johnny's been around a long, well, longer than me, in fact, which is probably hard to believe for some. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we've only played once against each other, um, and I think he beat me six-five in the Pro Tour. So, in my eyes, there's not a lot between us. He's a very good player. He obviously had to play very well to get through the qualifier because that was a tough day of darts. Um, to be honest, it's it, it's a draw that could have been a lot worse. Um, looking at the, a lot of the names in that prelim round. So, you know, for me, it's just about an opportunity to, to try and win a game. Um, we'll be friends before, we'll be friends after, but when we're on that stage, then... Um, you know, we'll both be trying to beat each other. Mm. And, I mean, you referenced the qualifier there. Uh, I interviewed Johnny a couple of weeks ago now, and he, he was saying that, you know, in the final game of the qualifier, he was playing Scott Walters, county player for Hampshire. Johnny went 4-0 up, then found himself 5-4 behind, and he said when he went 5-4 down, he was like, well, I thought I bottled it. Um, so he showed reserve to come back and win that game 6-5, and, you know, that best of 11 leg format... It's quite similar to, to the first round games because they're going to be best of three sets. Yeah, I mean, it could be six legs, it could all be over. Um, there's also the, the chance you could lose seven legs to six and still come through. So um, that's just the set play format. It could be a very short game um, or it could be a longer game. I mean, obviously, if it's a short game, I'm hoping it's in my favour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, as I say, I think, if I'm honest, I think we're fairly evenly matched. Um, I'm confident that um, I can win the game. I'm sure Johnny is as well. Um, let's just hope we get up there, both play to the best of our ability and um, may the best man win and uh, go on to lift the title. Hmm. Positive attitude. And, I mean, if you win that, the next assignment would be top seed Brian Roman. He was WDF World number 1 at the end of last year. Now a PDC tour card holder, he's you know he had a good run in one of the Euro tours. He's picked up just shy of seven grand through the first few months of the Pro Tour season. So he's he's made a good start, but I know he's been keen to sort of play around with the equipment, and he doesn't feel he's playing as well as he can. But it's still obviously going to be a tough assignment, regardless of, of who wins that game between you and Johnny. Yeah, again, Brian Brian had a great year um, in twenty twenty one. He had a good end to. 2019 as well before covid came and cut us all short in 2020 yeah very good player again another guy that i like very much very very nice guy um always have a good laugh with him thoroughly deserved his number one spot um glad to see that he's able to now play in the tournament despite winning the tour card um that experience i was speaking to someone the other day and i said i'm not sure the players who've gone on to the pdc it will be unusual for them because they were used to winning tournaments and being at the top of the tree in the WDF. And now they're almost in an environment where winning one game is, is like a success each time they go to the Pro Tour. And it's just about winning one game or two games. And, you know, yes, they have good runs and that, but the, because of the strength, it's, it's a different mindset. Initially, when you first start on the tour, before once you find your feet, it's a bit different. But um, perhaps not being in a used to winning so much in the last few months and just winning the odd game here and there, um, maybe that will count in the favour of the, the players who are still playing the WDF who are doing well in those tournaments and, and maybe a bit higher confidence. Mm. I mean, I think that's the key word, really. Confidence starts is so much a mental game. You know, as much as what you're chucking at the board, it's all about belief. And if you're, as you say, you're a big fish in a small pond, is that better than being a smaller fish in, in a big pond? So, um, interesting to see. Brian hasn't actually won a game at the World Championship before. He, he lost in the prelim round on his debut in 2020. So, he'll be looking for a win. And then you go from one end of the spectrum 
you know, the top seed who's not actually won in a world championship yet. Uh, the next game down, Martin Adams, the three-time world champion, looking to make it four, kicking off against Jared Cole. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was playing Super League against uh, Jared's team on Monday, which we their team kindly brought forward due to it originally being arranged next Monday um, because, obviously, if either of myself or him win, we'd be playing on that Monday night, so it would have meant not only both teams being short of us, but other people wanting to come and watch or support or however would have also been missing. So um, we actually played that a couple of nights ago. He had a 30 average. Um, he had a 30 average on Sunday at County. He had a 29 the week before. He's playing so well. Um, he's a lovely kid. Um, Martin, obviously, is the ultimate experience as you say, one world titles, world masters. It's going to be tough, but I mean, I wouldn't want to put my hand in my pocket and put any money on that game because I think it really could go either way. But no matter what way it goes, I think you're in for a treat to open the tournament. Absolutely. And I think that is one game that I think could be massively determined by that shorter format, you know. The longer it goes, you'd probably have to favour, you know, Wolfie's experience on that stage and his experience as a player. But, you know, over over what we've said, effectively could be the best of 11. Jared might do well because, like Martin, he's been playing a lot of the live league. He's playing county, Super League, all that kind of thing. Um, but you look at Martin, he played probably as much as anyone during lockdown because he was a regular in the live league, regularly did well. He was, you know, throwing nine darts for fun at one stage. And, of course, earlier this year got to the final of the, the first World Seniors Championship. So he's obviously in a good place. And what, what a story it would be, the first w, you know the first World Championship under the WDF umbrella. You know, he rolls back the years, becomes the oldest ever World Champion and wins it for a fourth time. So there's a great story there, whichever way that game goes. And it promises to be a very good one. And then the winner of that plays Anthony Allen, who, you know, was a regular on the tour, seems to be improving all the time and finding his stride. Yeah, Anthony, uh, um, seem like I'm repeating myself, but another great guy, um, good friend, really good player. Um, started really well in 2020 before COVID, um, doing well in the Isle of Man, Slovakia, and carried that on when we came back out um, at the back end of last year. Um, I think he will, if he's honest, he'll, he will look at the... the the draw and think couldn't get much worse the winner of that prelim between Adams and Jared Cole um, because whoever wins that he's got a, a real tough game on his hands but you know I know Anthony well he can play some great darts There's, again it's, it'll be, it will be another good game Next up is you know, a tie between Ben Hazel and Hopi Pua but I feel like the real intrigue there is the person they'll go on to meet 15 year old Luke Littler, who last year started playing the senior events for the first time, you know, took to it like a duck to water and then won the Irish Open and, you know, broke, um, I forget which Rodriguez brother it is, I think it's Roxy. He broke Roxy's record as the youngest ever winner of a WDF-ranked competition when he won that Irish Open. Luke is tremendously gifted and he's playing tremendously well, but playing in a senior men's world championship at 15 isn't something people do. So I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him, probably a lot of expectation, maybe pressure. Um, but he's a smart kid and he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's got good people behind him. So I think he's going to do really well. And he'd probably be the favourite against whoever wins that game between Ben and Hopi. But Ben and Hopi are both decent players. They've both got world championship experience. Ben actually got to the... The last 16, um, the 0-2 in 2020, seems a long time ago now, but he played really well there. And, of course, Hopi's played at Alexandra Palace. Yeah, well, so Ben was another... He was a qualifier in the, the previous or the last World Championship that we had at the 0-2. Um, and, yeah, did really well. Um, come back from a long way behind against back Gary Robson um, to win in the last 32. So, again, got a bit of nerve about him. Um, good player. Uh, how high I don't really know um, I've seen his playing challenge tour this year um, made a final 
obviously in, in decent form, but I don't know him personally. Um, but as you say, the winner to play Luke Littler, if Luke can ignore the, the hype, he, can, he could win the whole thing. He's playing that well. I think it's harsh when people put so much expectation on such a young person's shoulders. I mean, we saw it with Leighton Bennett at the O2. Um, although he was unfortunate because he played Scott Mitchell, who was obviously is another one who had so much experience and just knew how to win the game. Mm. Um, but the, the expectation that was on Leighton at that tournament was so high, it, it must impact them in a way um, when they go up on that stage. But if, if he can ignore that and just throw his darts, like he has been doing for the last six to eight months... Yeah, I mean, he he could win the tournament. He's not a player that he can't beat. Hmm, for sure. I think in terms of hope, I, um, I will sound like a broken record if I say this about every tie, but he's someone I've interviewed before, um, as is the case with most of the men's field. I mean, he used to play golf, then started playing darts. But, I mean, he's, you know, super focused, super motivated. But, I mean, when he played at Ali Pali, got beat 3-0 by Mickey Mansell, I think he would have be the first to admit that nerves got the better of him that time. You know, the occasion, I think, overwhelmed him a little bit. Of course, that was in a World Championship behind closed doors. There was no one there. A slightly different environment at at Lakeside, but if he can play to the standard he's capable of, which he he did earlier this year at the Challenge Tour and at Q School, then I would say that he's got a very good chance to, to, you know, potentially beat Ben and, and be really competitive against Luke and, you know, anyone he might then come up after that. So... He's a good player, nice guy as well. So, yeah, I think Ben, ben against Hope is a very competitive game on paper. You know, the, the next tie is, I think, you know, one where people, you know, it's, a, it's an all-international sort of section of the draw. You've got Sweden's Andreas Harrison. He's taken on Lajlo Kadar of Romania. Now, Lajlo's probably someone a lot of people haven't heard of before. He's just the second Romanian to play at a, a world championship. But he, for me... He's one of the dark horses of this competition because he's playing tremendously well. And I have to admit, he is someone I love watching play because his combination shots to set up his finishes are beautiful. I think it was um, I think when he won the Appleton Open last year, he had 132 left and he deliberately hit one, two, four to leave himself eight. And I was like, I've got so much time for that. Um <laughs> But generally, he's a very good player and, and won the Slovak Open you know, last month, came from 4-2 down to beat Scott Marsh. So he's obviously in good nick. And I think you played him in Slovakia as well, didn't you? Yeah, um, he's a guy I know very well um, from Romania. I know most of the Romanian players. Um, in fact, I, I played in a tournament over there, like an internal tournament. Um, and the only two major players I knew at the time were uh, Gabriel Pascaru and Adrian Frim. And I saw... Laszlo or Lotzi as they, we call it or they call him um, I saw him play and I was like this guy's amazing he, he's not missing and they were like oh yeah that's it he's, he's been around for years he just, he's just like a machine you know and um, yeah I mean he's, he's a great player um, playing well as you say just one in Slovakia um, won't be phased by anything he's an older guy he won't mind me saying that so he's got plenty of experience, obviously not on the big stage, but he won't be put off by anything. Um, I think Andreas Harrison is another one, another great player, to be honest. Um, doesn't do a whole lot of the tour, but when he does, when he does the, the Danish, the Swedish, other Scandinavian tours, he tends to go deep in every one. So, you know, he's a guy who's confident that he can just turn up to a handful of events and do well rather than having to do like someone like myself where I go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> He's also grown an amazing beard through lockdown. <laughs> um, so would have seen him with, I think he just had a little goatee um, at the O2. But yeah, he's got an amazing sort of a Dumbledore style or ZZ Top um, beard that uh, it will be a pleasure to behold on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, and it's a fun contrast to nicknames as well. Dirty Harry against the teacher. Uh, it's quite fun. 
and the winner of that plays uh, the Dutchman Ricard Veenstra. Now, Richard got to the semis in his first World Championship at Lakeside, um, and he's got to a quarterfinal since then, but generally results haven't been as strong. And he is someone who I have always described as a streaky player. There will be a run of four legs where Richard will go out in 12, 14, 14, 13. And there will be a run of five legs after that where he can't find a treble for love nor money. So he is always a very hard player to predict how what he's going to do because it's like, well, it just depends when the good runs come and when the bad runs come. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I mean, he's, again, very good player on his day when he's in. Um, one of the best players around in the WDF system. Um, like many of the Dutch contingent, quite fast. More of a natural action than a, a sort of practised set up. Um, but yeah, it can beat anyone on his day. Another one who could who could win it if it, like you say, if the those little runs come at the right time. Maybe doing him a disservice by saying he, he streaky because I don't think his bad legs are no. terrible either. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he won two events last year, so you know obviously not you know not you know he's obviously playing very well. He won the Italian Grandmasters, the, the Danish Masters as well. So he's a very good player, but I just think you see in that World Championship where he'll have one set where he is, you know, he'll, he'll win it with ease. And then the next set, he just struggles to find that same rhythm. But I mean, that can happen to the best of us. And some of us, like me, never find that rhythm. So, um, you know, you know, moving on, then it, it, it's a, you know, a bracket again. And the next three names we're going to talk about, all players making their debut at Lakeside. It's New Zealand's Landon Gardner taking on Scotland's Jim McEwen. Yeah, I mean, Jim, a familiar face to people who watch the online league. I think he won one of the phases mm. a couple of weeks back, two, three weeks back. Um, Landon, unfortunately, again, another player that I've, I've never met personally, so I don't know a lot about him. Um, I think Jim is one of the, the better players in the tournament, to be honest. Um, so Landon will find it tough, as I say, I don't... I, because I don't know a lot about him, it's hard for me to say. Hmm. Um, but obviously, he comes through in that sort of uh, Australia-New Zealand system. So he's playing against a lot of quality players over there. Um, so I'm sure you know there's no bad players in the draw. But I think Jim Jim is a strong player. I personally think he's looking not to uh, move you ahead before you've <laughs> spoken about it. But I think the, the Aaron Turner and potentially Jim in the second round could be another great game because Aaron Aaron and Laura I know I've been doing a lot of practicing I see at the county weekend just gone Aaron had a 107 average in his county game I know he'll have been on the practice board he's a very dedicated player um, and both of them yeah, that could be another great game um, mm. if they both turn up to to their best no, absolutely. Now, I think, you know, here's a little something I prepared earlier. Um, Landon, actually, fun fact about Landon, he won the first WDF comp with points after the COVID-enforced break last year. Um, so he won the Canterbury, I think it was the Canterbury Open he won in June, which was the first event since the Isle of Man Open that actually had points. Um, Landon's a very good player. He actually had to take some time away from the game because, you know, he, he couldn't afford to travel around New Zealand because travel over there is actually, you know, surprisingly quite expensive internally. Um, and he initially turned down the place at Lakes. I think the travel restrictions at the time was just a bit too much, but got a second opportunity with the, you know, Ross Montgomery and, and Mario van den Bahada not playing. Um, and he's taken that chance. Um, and it's been great to see on Facebook he's... The sort of the New Zealand communities rallied round to help him, you know, bought stuff and you know, given him a bit of money and stuff. And he's good friends with Ben Robb, who played at Ali Pali in, in December. So I think Landon's got the support of the, the Kiwi community, which is really nice. Um, but as you say, he's going up against someone in gym who made changes to his throw during lockdown and they've benefited him massively. He took huge strides forward 2021 and this year, you know, I think, and it, it shows with Jim as well. Form in darts can be incredibly temporary. He won that phase of the live league, and it was suddenly like, okay, well he's 
now probably one of the two or three top favourites. But then in the recent Pro Tour weekends, the results didn't go his way and he was actually quite disappointed with his performances. So maybe those Pro Tour results not going in his way is actually going to be a good thing because that will keep him motivated and focused and whatever. But yeah, I mean, Jim's got a heart of gold. Lovely bloke. I get on with him really well. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play there because... He said to me, playing at Lakeside was a you know a childhood dream and one he thought he'd never actually achieve. So to get there, I know it's going to mean a lot to him. And it will mean a lot to Aaron Turner as well because Aaron was in a provisional World Championship place for the O2 for a very long time. And sort of every round of the World Masters, it was like, well, the only person who can take that spot away from you is John O'Shea. And then John O'Shea kept winning and then he won the whole thing. So then John took Aaron's spot. So he, he ended up missing out in 2020. But he didn't let that dissuade him. He did a lot of the tour 2021 and, and he's in. And as you say, he banged in that massive county average at the weekend. So he's obviously going in, in good nick. So whether Landon or Jim come through, Aaron will be you know ready and raring to go. Yeah, 100%. Now, the next, the next game, I think is one of the most underrated games of the first round. That's Mark Graham against Dave Prince. Now, Mark is someone like you who travels an awful lot and did an awful lot of the events last year. And he's going up against someone in, in Dave Prince, the Badger, who has had a real resurgence over the last six months, played well at the World Seniors and, and won the Isle of Man just a couple of weeks ago. Two lovely guys, um, two great players. Well, again, I wouldn't want to call this one. It literally could go with something as simple as who's got the darts. Mm. You know, um, it, it will be a great game. Yeah, you're right about that. That's, uh, I mean... Dave obviously has played before at the World Championship, so maybe that will count in his favour. But yeah, they're both on form. They're both good players. And I think the only, again, unfortunate thing for that section of the draw is that only one of Mark Graham, Dave Prince and Mike Warburton will make it into the, <laughs> the last 16 because I think, again, Mike just won the online league was it last week? Um, another player who's been playing fantastically well for the last two or three years was up very high in the WDF rankings pre-COVID, and then I think um, uh, I think the qualif- qualification for what would have been twenty twenty one, he won something like three out of the first four tournaments mm. in Prague and somewhere else, and was just on fire. Um, so yeah, to only have one of those three. In the last 16, it shows how tough the tournament is and, and that section of the draw. Oh, absolutely. They're all really nice blokes as well, as you say. And Mark's coming, you know, he had a long time away from the game while he was helping bring up his kids and stuff. Um, but he's now sort of dedicated himself to it, overcome Dartitis. So, yeah, it's really nice to see him get that opportunity. And I think it's nice for him as well, because when I interviewed him recently... Um, he was saying his hero, his darting hero, was Martin Phillips, who obviously was a, a mainstay on that Lakeside stage for many, many years. Although I am a little disappointed he won't be coming out to tub thumping by Chawamba Wamba, but you can't win everyone. Um, now, you talk about Mike Warburton, he's someone who's been playing well over the last two or three years. The seeded player in the next element of the draw is, is Northern Ireland's Neil Duff, who... You know, he used to do the odd event here and there. He was, you know, an international for Northern Ireland, always dangerous, often had good runs at the World Masters, but has now started doing the tour properly and he's very high up in the rankings because he's a tremendous player. And he will play that the winner of Paul Hogan or or Justin Thompson. But you'd have to say that Neil is the man to watch in that element of the draw. Yeah, but both Paul and Justin, again... I wouldn't like to call the winner of that both very good players, very solid players, lots of experience between the two as well. I don't think either Paul or Justin will be thinking that it's an unsurmountable job in in beating Neil. Um, But like you say, Neil is playing incredibly well. Um, It's in danger of repeating myself from only a few moments ago. It's it's another one where it's, it's almost disappointing that only one of those three is going to make it through to the what's effectively the third round um, because all three of them have got the capability to, to go deep. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Paul last year probably didn't have the year he wanted to. I know his wife was quite ill for, for a period of time, but qualified for the UK Open this year, got to a quarter final in the Isle of Man and 
he's obviously vastly experienced as well. So I think he's hitting form at the right time. Justin is experienced. He's a, he's a tough, tough old boy. He's very hard to beat. I think if you beat Justin, you know you're going to have had to work for it. You know, he's, he's never going to give anyone an easy game. But my only concern with Justin, as with all the you know Australian New Zealanders, I just don't know that they've had the match practice to be seasoned to go on that stage because of the restrictions and you know lockdowns and whatever. I've tournaments there have been few and far between, um, so I don't know how match ready they're going to be. Yeah, so I say another another tough section of the draw, um, which any of those two you may favour Neil Duff slightly because um, he's only got to win one to come through that section rather than two because um, the other two will have two tough games rather than just one but yeah I mean it, again it's, it's flip a coin and, and see how that one comes out really you know the winner of that game uh, will be playing uh, you know the winner of the, the section involving Nick Fulwell who's another one of the, the tour card holders um, he's you know, relatively speaking not had as much success on the PDC tour so far this year as maybe he would have Liked, but he's still a very good player. He was playing very well on the, the tour last year, and he'll take on either Canada's Rory Hansen, and another debutant, or a very resurgent Mark Barilli. Yeah, Mark um, had a really good end to the year um, in 2021. Um, Hungary, Prague, and Malta, and in Italy, had some great results, which pushed him right up the rankings. Um, I think he. he was comfortable, comfortably qualified in the end, but was he really made a late run, if you like. Again, another lovely guy. Um, spent a lot of time with him in Prague, particularly. And uh, so Rory Hansen is, is another one who, unfortunately, I've, I've never met, but I'm sure we'll all meet at, uh, at Lakeside. Um, Nick is another guy who I've known for a long time. Uh, again, I was on the Pro Tour with Nick 10 years ago. Another lovely guy, again, a great dart player. Um, if I was to pick, if it's between him and Mark, that again, it's going to be a, a great game. They both throw at a, a good pace. They're both good scorers. Nick, but it, sometimes it seems like he can't miss double top <laughs> at times, and you're almost surprised if he doesn't hit it. Had a great first game at the O2 a couple of years ago, um, and then didn't repeat it in the second round. But uh, yeah, and another could be another cracking game hmm. um, between those two. I mean, I think I think the thing with Mark really, Lakeside's never been particularly kind to him in the past. This is going to be his fifth appearance, but he's never actually won on that stage. Um, now, when he qualified before, it was the years when there were only thirty-two players, so he just went into the last thirty-two, and he ran into some tough players. You know, the likes of Tony West, Simon Whitlock, whatever, but. Yeah, he's never actually won on that stage. And I think if you look back, it's always been sort of a high 70s average, which is well below what he's capable of and certainly what he's been throwing in in recent months. He's certainly the favourite there against Rory, but Rory is, a, you know, he's another one who's an absolutely... like He's a really lovely guy um, and he's really looking forward to making his, his debut. There was a an issue last year with the, the Canadian rankings where because there were only a handful of events it meant that there was a three-way tie for second in the rankings. Now, Matt Campbell had already qualified for the PDC World, so he you know, he was out of the picture, that was fine. But there was nothing to split Rory and Sean Burt, and there was nothing in the rules to split them either. Obviously, it would have been unfair to have a playoff or, or something like that. So, in the end, they both got in. Rory was through winning at the Greater Vancouver Open over two years ago now. But yeah, I know he's looking forward to the opportunity representing his community in Vancouver. Um, and he's been playing an awful lot of online to try and get match practice and get longer match practice. So, you know, I've watched a lot of his games online in, in recent months and you can see the standards is improving and certainly the power scoring is improving. But I, I worry that doubles might be the, the issue for him, him there against Mark. But you never know. And the other Canadian I mentioned there, Sean Burt, he's in the next game down on, on the draw, and he's taken on a man who a lot of people are tipping to go very far in Connor Scott. Yeah, I, I did see he was the early bookies' favourite for the tournament, which um, surprised me, not because I don't 
think that Connor's capable of winning it because he's an excellent player um, and again another one who's really really upped his game in the last couple of years um, but it did surprise me when you have the likes of Mine Adams and uh, the like in the draw um, that he was such a clear initial favourite um, having said that again I don't know Sean Burt so I'm I would expect that Connor would win that one, but um, he's he's not got an easy game in round two against Thibaut. I mean, Thibaut is, is a, another great player. Many expected him to get a tour card Q school, which didn't happen for him. But um, yeah, I mean, he's going in as number two seed, and that that will be a, a tough one to win for either player. They're going to have to play well to come through that one. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean. Thibaut is another one who, who's, you know, absolutely lovely, a pleasure to speak to. Actually called me international media, which I think is one of the nicest compliments I've ever received. Um, well, you were called an athlete in Iceland. I think that was possibly... Well, I mean, I was a registered you know. athlete. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is a recognition I will never live down. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I think Thibaut... I mean, Thibaut, interestingly, used the, the Torremolinos Open as a springboard to really kick on on the tour... Um, and he was playing very well last year, won the, the Danish Open, he won the Welsh Classic. He's not playing to quite the same standard this year, I would say. Um, but he's certainly capable, and he has played in the World Championships before. OK, it was the O2, not Lakeside, but he has got that experience, which Connor and Sean don't have. So that, that might be an advantage when it comes to the game, but, you know, experience doesn't mean everything. You know, we move on. You're playing Johnny Haynes now, but the man who was originally supposed to play him was the American Leonard Gates, who's making his long-awaited debut in a, in a Steel Tip World Championship. Um, Leonard's a very dangerous player. Been playing very well this year. Won the Camellia Classic. Got to the final of the Virginia Beach last weekend. He's going to be hard to beat. However, regardless, you know, of, of Leonard's capabilities, the real intrigue for me in that the prelim game to determine his opponent is for the walk-ons because Steve Hine hopefully will be chucking out baked goods to the lakeside crowd and he's going up against a man in Kevin Luke who has promised me that he's coming out to Real American Hulk Hogan's old wrestling theme tune. So for me, that is probably the best walk-on battle of the week. Yeah, I mean, who needs to talk about the darts when you've got walk-ons like that? I mean, I, certainly I'll be uh, trying to make my way to the front of the, the stage when Steve walks on, because there's nothing better than a free pie um, <laughs> or a muffin, as uh, I think he was handing out the last time he was at uh, the PDC World Championships. Again, Steve, lovely guy. I've never met Kevin. I'm sure I will. Um, and I've never met Leonard either. Um, seen some of Leonard's averages at times at Q school or and he can certainly hit the highs it's uh, but it's all about consistency at the world championship you've got to do it at the right time and you've got to do it over a longer format so it'd be that'll be an interesting one to see but um yeah as far as uh, the walk-ons go that's that's going to be anything else hands down i think for the rest of the tournament well i think the only thing the only thing that might top it is the fact Sean McDonald has been peer pressured into coming out old McDonald has a farm. Um, which was a a sneaky music change from Dita Hedman and Margaret Sutton in Italy that uh, in Italy? In Ireland that's now uh, now caught on and I think he did a Twitter poll that said Old McDonald won. So I think you have to stick to that now. I think that's the rules. But Sean takes on someone I know you know fairly well, Dave Parletti. Winner of that plays Andy Barton. So Andy Barton's is a slightly odd one because he played at the World Championship once and got to the quarterfinals and then sort of disappeared from the tour for a couple of years. He tried Q school and then sort of vanished and then came back last year, did the double in Catalonia to shoot him up the rankings and then he won the Czech Open just before the end of the season. So Andy's obviously in good nick um, and he's played well on that lakeside stage before. So he'll be... He'll be dangerous, but yeah, Dave against Sean is one of the toughest first-round draws, I think, in the whole tournament. Yeah, it's another great... Um, I keep calling them prelim, but it's not. It's a round one. Um, got to stop saying that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dave, one of the naturally gifted 
dark players, power scoring. I mean, from the moment he started playing Super League in, in Surrey a number of years ago, um, we just started banging in 28, 29 averages from week one. And people are sort of thinking, where's this guy come from? You know, and Sean, very solid, doesn't give a lot away, very tough to beat. Both of them are going to be hard to beat. The winner of that one player, Andy again, is, a, is another great player. It could be one of the ones where I think maybe the round one winner is going to go in as a slight favourite against the seed. But as you say, Andy's done well at Lakeside before. The Czech Open seems to be to hold something for him. That was the first tournament he won in order to qualify for his first Lakeside. And he's gone and won it again <laughs> last year. Um you know, the guy knows how to win darts matches. So, yeah, another another sort of threesome that I wouldn't like to to pick a winner from. But just to sit back and enjoy, and thankfully they're not in my half. <laughs> I mean, Sean hasn't... I don't think Sean's found quite his form this year. It's been a bit up and down. Uh, I know he played well in Hungary in patches, but didn't get the results he was he was looking for. But what I will say with him... Sean has got one of the most analytical minds in the sport. So if he wins, he will be looking at his games, he'll be studying it, he'll be looking at, you know, what am I doing? Am I throwing it, you know, is my grip too far forward or whatever? And he'll adjust and improve as the tournament goes on. So he's one of those people where he could easily, if he wins the first one, pick up the sort of momentum that, that becomes very hard to stop um, as the week goes on. So that's a game to watch. And I, I suppose the only thing to note with Dave is, you know, he couldn't travel last year. So he played the British events but couldn't go anywhere else. So I do wonder a little bit about match practice for him. But as you say, you know, we know what he's capable of and it's a natural thing for him. It's not, you know, you practice, practice, practice to get better. He's one of those players who just has the raw ability. So um, that's a game I look forward to. Moving down is Scott Marsh, he's the seed in the next section. He's a, you know, used to play soft tip for a number of years, now playing a lot more steel tip. Had a real breakthrough last year, won the British Open, got to the Slovak Open final earlier this year, and was on the Pro Tour last weekend as well. Um, he will play the winner of James Richardson against Sebastian Steyer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only when you've now got me looking down this drawer and going through all these games, you realise how, how tough this tournament is. I mean, it's another section where um, I think James Richardson has been a very solid player for a number of years. Well, still people will remember him from when he dispatched Barney at the mm -hmm. PDC World Championships all those years ago. Another great walk-on, Vindaloo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could be it could be a Vindaloo old McDonald last 16 <laughs> if we're looking at the walk-ons. Um, but uh, yeah, again, Another three who I wouldn't want to pick a winner from. Perhaps James would be favourite against Sebastian, but another guy who's, who's a very solid player. Um, and then Scott Marsh facing the winner of that. Again, another one who doesn't give a lot away, doesn't lose many games, seems to go deep in a lot of the tournaments that he does enter. So, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of six, where you include Arletti, McDonald. Andy Barnes, Scott Marsh, James Richardson—that's that's a real tough sort of eighth of the draw. Hmm, absolutely, I think my main obviously James has played at the PDC Worlds four times, played very well in the live league over the last couple of years. I think he's going in in good form, good confidence. Same goes for Scott. I, Sebastian's been playing well in you know the Polish ranking events, Polish you know you know domestic competitions, but the tour events he's been to this year, the tail end of last year didn't really cut through in the way he was doing before. So I'm not sure that he's in tip top condition, you know, playing wise, form wise. Um, but he's tough and he got you know, you know, he didn't get to the World Trophy semi final in twenty nineteen by being a bad player. So he's definitely yeah, a good that's player. What I was just gonna say, but his stage experience from the World Trophy will count. He, I know he played in at the O two as well, but you know, he's he, he's not a player who's afraid of the stage that run up in Blackburn proved that. So, um, yeah, just a, again, another flip of a coin for me. Mm. Now, we've alluded to it a few times, the O2 was the last BDO 
World Championship, and the winner of that was Mr. Wayne Warren. It's obviously been a challenging couple of years for Wayne, um, with everything that went on with the money and the trophy and all of that. But I spoke to Wayne last week, and his motivation is very high. And he was saying that he's been struggling with a shoulder problem for, for much of the last six months. And that really affected him at the the World Seniors, where he, where he lost 3-0 to Kevin Painter. But he's got that shoulder problem sorted now. And he's feeling very good at going into the world. And he feels like he has a point to prove. Um, and he's going to have to hit the ground running because the person he plays in the last 32, uh, we know it's going to be a Lancastrian. Um, because it's you know close friends Jordan Brooks and Lee Shewan, travelling partners, and um, best mates since they were teenagers have been drawn to play against each other. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the real shames about the <laughs> the draw was those two coming out together because they are you know like the, they're like twins on the tour they're they're always together. Um, two great guys. I wouldn't want to pick a winner out of them. Um, because again, it's, it brings that sort of playing your mates element into mm. it. Now, I don't care how much experience you have, it's always tough to play people who you, unless you can get that aggression and that sort of focus of, you know, almost like I want to want to destroy you sort of mentality mm. during the game. And and both of them are going to find that very tough. It it will be a great game. They're both great players. Um, but yeah, um, I would not want to upset the. I wouldn't want to be sharing a room with each other um, <laughs> in the hotel and then having to, you know, <laughs> go back to the room after that one. Um, I think either of them are going to coming up against Wayne Warren, as you say. If he is back in in top form, um, he will have a point to prove and be wanting to win his title again. And um, so again, not not a section of the draw that I would wish to call in any way shape or form well I was going to say if he's you know he's going to make a you know a good start in the last 32 he's going to have to be even more sharp for the last 16 because the favourite to come through that portion of the draw is Cameron Menzies who after a number of years of being favoured fancied to go well to do well seems to finally be putting it all together now he won the Welsh Open last year now on the PDC Tour, and is consistently playing at that high 90s average level that he threatened to for, for a long time. Yeah, another player is, again, sort of a... He's just a natural thrower, just just gets on with it. Um, been playing very well, as you say. I was on the end of one of his uh, performances in, in that Welsh Open on his way to winning it. Um, so, you know, I've witnessed firsthand um, how well he's been playing. The two in round one, Ian Jones and David Cameron. Um, David, he's been to Lakeside a number of times. Finally had a bit of a run the last time last time out after having a few tough ones in the, the early stages, the first few appearances he made. Um, Ian Jones, I mean, again, been there before years ago. Um, very tough, dogged opponent. Won't give a lot away. Another fast thrower. Just gets on with the game, very solid. Cameron will have to play well to beat the winner of those two, no matter what. Um, it was interesting to me that, that he was made the second favourite behind Connor Scott. Yeah, they're both in the same half of the draw. Um, so I don't know what was quite going on there. Surely someone in the top half, unless they think the top half is such a, a lottery that it could be anyone, so they're not willing to make anyone a clear favourite. Um, but yeah, as you say, and then whoever wins that section plays the section above, potentially Wayne Warren trying to go to win his title back. It's another one that could make for a great game in the last 16. Absolutely. I think you know Cameron's played at Lakeside before, 2018, uh, and he said to me openly that nerves got the better of him. And the occasion and the stage and all of it just sort of like overwhelmed him and it sort of ran away from him in the end. I think he lost to Conan, uh, Whitehead, that time. Um, but he's older now, he's wiser, and I think he's just generally in a better place. So I think, you know, he's not going to be taking anything for, for granted whether he plays Ian or or David. Um, getting on to the last two ties now of the 
the men's, and they both involve uh, men that you you know and and have had experiences with. The first is sort of James Hurrell's little, little you know section of the draw. Uh, he's the new WF World number one, um, but he's seeded sixth for, for this tournament. New England captain James Hurrell as well won the Isle of Man Classic a couple of weeks ago. He will play the winner of Donovan Lottering against John Desremo. Now Donovan's Australian, relatively unknown, well very unknown I would say, got to the North Queensland Classic final last year. And that's the only real significant run he's had. Um, might be a little bit too much too soon for him against John from Belgium who played very well against you to win the Malta Open last year. Again, even John's sort of relatively new to the tour, hasn't has only done a handful of tournaments, but is another player who, when he does go to a tournament, he tends to do quite well. As you say, beat me in the final in, in Malta, a barrage of 180s in about three or four legs, four or five 180s, sort of just to kill my, my confidence a little bit, which wasn't very nice. Um, but yeah, very good player. Um, as you say, I, I don't know a lot about Donovan Lottering. James has been playing really well post-Covid. He was playing some lovely stuff and, yeah, he, world number one, not by by fault. It's, uh, you know, he's deserved that spot. New England captain, he must be buzzing confidence-wise for being given the armband there. Um, I actually think James could be one of the, the real dark horses in that, that bottom half of the draw. Um He's been playing really well. Um, but it's a tough section, as you say, again, with Wayne Warren, with Cammy Menzies in there. It's That section of the draw is going to be hard. Whoever gets through to that semi-final um, is going to have had some real tough games already and then only to get harder in the semi and the final. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think Jammer's got a good chance of going really deep. Mm, for sure. Now, the the last, but by no means least, um, section of the draw involves two of my favourite stories, really, of last year. One is Jules Van Dongen, who went from never having played a ranked competition before to winning his first one and ending up winning three before the end of the year and then winning a tour card. It all happened very quickly uh, for Jules, but he's you know a lovely guy, and he seems to be taking in his stride. And in many ways, I think some of the early setbacks he's had on the PDC side of things will probably have helped him, uh, and you know helped ground him and stuff. So he had a great last, great breakthrough year last year, and he's going to play the winner of either Ryan De Vried, who's playing at the Worlds for the first time in in six years, or someone I know you've played with, played alongside, and actually initially was the reason you hadn't qualified in Francesco Roschini, who's the first Italian to qualify for a world championship. Yeah, um, he won't thank you for not saying Raschini instead of Roschini. He gets quite annoyed by that. So um, just to correct your pronunciation there for a moment. But yeah, Francesco, lovely guy. He's actually, I think he just landed about an hour ago um, in the UK. And uh, I'm actually seeing him this evening. He's coming along to... Uh, a competition, a Super League competition I've got. He's not allowed to play, but he said he wanted to come along. So I actually see him this evening. Really good player, lovely guy. Um, just, uh, he's got the hopes of a nation behind him. There's been a lot of build-up in Italy. Um, the first Italian to play at Lakeside. Um, so I'm really hoping he does really well. Um, Ryan, again, as you say, is a sort of a strange one because he... He's had a PDC tour card. He's been at Lakeside before. Um, he seems to... He's another player who seems to not be around for a couple of years, and then suddenly you'll see him in a major tournament, and you go, oh, where's he been for the last couple of years? So you know, there's no doubt in that he's got talent when he applies it. For whatever reason, he's not playing regularly in between times. Um, so, it won't, it, you know, that'll be a tough game for both. I think um, Jules as well, I think it's... It could be that it's, it comes around very quickly. Um, as you say, maybe a year, 18 months ago, when he'd never played in a ranking tournament before, it sort of it, it might overwhelm him a little bit. Who knows? But he's certainly got the talent, um, as he's proved by achieving all he's achieved in such a short time. 
but it's probably one of the lesser known sections of the draw for all three players really um, for the the watching viewer rather than the the players and the darts, en- darts enthusiasts um, but still a very intriguing section and um, it'd be interesting to see who comes through that hmm. Now I won't ask you to to make predictions because obviously you're playing in the tournament so obviously I would assume if I asked you to pick a winner you would have said yourself I suppose from my point of view I've found it very hard to pick a favourite because you know it's not like the year say I think it was 20, you know 2014 when Stephen Bunting was the overwhelming favourite to win it all or the years when Dazza won it when he was an enormous favourite I don't think there is anyone this time that is that much of a favourite, and rightly so. I think it is quite open. I think, you know, Cameron Menzies, I think, has a very good chance of going deep. I think Brian Roman, James Hurrell, as you said. Uh, and and I think it's hard to look past. Whoever wins that game between Connor Scott and Thibaut Tricol, I think whoever wins that one is going to be full of confidence and potentially go all the way. Um, final this time is best of 11 sets rather than best of 13, as it used to be, I suppose, you know, TV time, Eurosport, they've got a lot more games to play than, than in the past because there's 48 men this time rather than 40 and there's more ladies as well. Move on to the, the ladies tournament, a record prize fund and there are some notable absences. Uh, Trina Gulliver's not there, uh, Fallon Sherrick is obviously not there after saying no and then being in and then pulling out again but I think there are some very interesting players to watch and could this be the time when Dita Hedman finally wins the World Championship? I think her career deserves it. And it would be lovely to see. Um, it's, it, as you say, it's interesting. There's only one former world champion in the draw because all the others are, are not in it for, for whatever reason. Um, but Dita's been to the final on a few to- on a few occasions. Um Again, it's, a, it's another draw just looking at it in front of me here. Um, it's so tough to pick to pick winners in each section again. I mean, Dita as the winner of Lorraine Hyde and Tory Kewish, both very good players. Um, Lorraine Winstanley, Stanley, I don't know Desi Mercer, but you know, I would assume perhaps Vicky Prim and Lorraine Winstanley again <laughs> wouldn't want to pick a winner. Uh, Makuru plays Laura Turner another tough <laughs> great game and the winner of that plays Eileen de Graff uh, and then of course you've got Bo Greaves in that half of the draw as well I mean that's just the top half um, you know the, Corinne Hammond playing the winner of Paula Jackson and Rihanna Sullivan Maria O'Brien was playing well played really well in Italy back in the last year um Anka Zilstra is always dangerous, and you've got Suzanne Smith, Joe Clements, Kirsty Hutchinson. It is, it's a, again the women's is as much of a lottery as the men's. I mean, you've got standout names. I think if I'm going to push, I would say the winner of it, whoever comes through the top half of the draw, is going to be the favourite. You've got Bogries, Makuru, Dieter, and Lorraine and Eileen De Graff. Which one of those five it would be? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the ladies is, I think if you look at it, the, the, the top half, I suppose, as, as you would, you know, you would call it, the Dieter side of the draw is so stacked with names, whereas the other side, because, you know, Anastasia was was removed, because there's no Fallon, you know, that side is very open. So there is the chance on that side for there to be, you know, a first-time finalist, someone to make a real breakthrough. I mean... Rihanna O'Sullivan, you know, formerly Rihanna Edwards, she's been to the final twice. And so has Corinne Hammond been to the final. Exactly. You know, they if play you... each other in round two. So, again, you know, it's, that just shows you the depth of that side of the draw. And yet that's the weaker half, yeah. supposedly, you know. Exactly. All I hope for, and I think it's pretty guaranteed that the... Our conversations now showing how tough it is to... to even break down individual games, let alone a tournament. I think every game will be competitive throughout the whole tournament. And if that's the case, it makes great viewing. It's the first WDF World Championship. 
and you know that if if it makes great viewing it'll be a success and you know that is the most important thing absolutely and i think the way players are playing you know Bo Greaves is the obvious one that did the hat trick in the Isle of Man she seems to have overcome her dartitis problems and she banged in I think it was the first ladies 90 plus average of the county season um, the weekend just gone she appears to be hitting form at the right time and what a story it would be if if she could win you know the world championship aged 18 she is a girl with so much talent and you know ladies darts I think is going to be dominated by her in the near future um, as you say, Dita winning would be lovely, um, and I think is the thing that certainly last year when she won six titles between September and November, that seemed the odds-on outcome. Um, but she since had a bit of injury trouble, and you know it's not an easy section of the draw. She's played Lorraine Hyde a number of times. She she's really developing as a player. Um, Tory is capable of a high standard, but maybe hasn't had match practice because of the restriction in Australia you know Lorraine Stanley last year didn't have the best year if you look at the rankings she's actually slid right down I think she's 21st now something like that um, but she played well at the ladies series recently so she's also capable she's a former finalist Vicky Brown she's playing really well played at the O2 as, as a replacement for Fallon, and she's a replacement for Fallon this time as well. But Vicky's been around a long time, a deceptively long period of time, and she's very capable and has consistently been smacking in 72, 73, 74 averages for, for Cheshire all season. So she's very capable. We alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Aaron Turner. Laura played really well for County at the weekend. She's been practising an awful lot. She's also played on that World Championship stage before, so maybe the nerves she had previously aren't going to be a problem this time. But you've also seen Makura Suzuki is playing at the Live League this week, and she's been playing ridiculously well. You know, 90 averages on a regular basis, beat Kevin Painter, beat other people. So, I mean, trying to pick people to come through that top half of the draw is incredibly hard, um, and picking a winner is very hard. And then, as you said, the bottom half feels very wide open. You look at Rianne O'Sullivan as, as a potential favourite. You look at, you know, Anka Zilstra to go deep, Maria O'Brien to go deep. But I think the the tie or the section of the ladies that sort of intrigues me is is the one, you know, at the bottom is Kirsty Hutchinson against the winner of Suzanne Smith and Joe Clements because Suzanne and Joe are both lefties. Um, Suzanne did a lot of the tour... Last year, this year, she's making real progress. She's another one to have overcome Tartitis to get there. They met in the final of the, the Slovak Open, Joe and, and Suzanne. Joe came out on top that time, but I mean, it could easily be a different outcome at, at Lakeside. And then you look at Kirsty, in that field, she is probably the, the one after Bose capable of producing the biggest averages. You know, when she's played on stage before, she's played really well and lost. And last year, she won the Welsh Open and played really well to do that and produced some really high averages at the Women's Series recently. So Kirsty, I'd say, is probably my one to watch in the bottom half of the, the draw. Um, but yeah, that top half's chaos and should produce some fantastic games, but it is very hard to look past potentially you know, a quarter-final between Bo Greaves and Makuro Suzuki. Absolutely, and that, and that will make for great viewing. Yeah, and I think 
also there's the potential for great stories in both of you know the men's tournaments and the, the ladies tournaments you know you've got someone like Dita who has been around for you know over you know over 30 years she's she's been to that final three times and circumstances have conspired against her could she do it you know Bo becoming the youngest ever winner that kind of thing there's so many stories there and the same goes for the men's you know you've got Luke Littler you've got Martin Adams you've got Everything in between, you know, we've got Roscoe making his debut for Italy. There's so much to look forward to. Um, and, of course, there's there's a Boys and Girls World Championship as well. Um, we're not going to get too granular with those. Um, but the boys won. Leighton Bennett's back in the mix, looking to become a two-time Boys World Champion. Um, and it's, it's hard to look past him doing that. Although, it must be said, um, he's playing... There's two English lads in the draw, and they're both playing each other in the semis, him and Charlie Large. But it's worth noting that on the other side, um, Bradley Roos from, from the Netherlands, Leighton missed, I think it was 10 or 12 match starts to beat Bradley in the JDC World Championship final in December. And you do wonder whether if they met in the final at Lakeside, that those missed doubles might be in the back of Leighton's mind somewhere. But he's a, he's a passionate young lad anyway, so you would hope that maybe he learned from that experience. But in my only... To disappointment in the the boys is that it's not uh, Luke Littler and Charlie Large because that would have been just uh, <laughs> a publicist's dream. But uh, yeah, I mean Leighton Bennett obviously been there, done it before, played on the main men's event at the O2. Again, it's hard to judge because I, I I don't tend to follow a lot of the JDC results. But um, yeah, I, mean, I guess you have to make Leighton the favourite if he plays his best game. You know, he's shown it before that he can produce darts like anyone else in the world, even in the men's game, let alone in the, the youth. So um, it'll be interesting to see him back on that stage. Absolutely. And then, you know, the girls, Eleanor Kearns is, is, is favourite for that, and, and rightfully so, because she's been playing really well. Um, and I think it will be a wonderful story for her if she can win, because... Um, I remember Luke Littler talking to me about this in Ireland. Her mum, uh, Eleanor's mum, used to take Luke and Eleanor to competitions, whether they were youth, whether they were senior. She used to sort of take them around everywhere. And then Eleanor's mum sadly passed away last year very suddenly. So when Luke won the Irish Open, he dedicated it to her because of all the support she'd given him with travel and that over the years. So for those two, you know, Eleanor and Luke, very good friends, to be both playing at Lakeside is obviously wonderful for both of them but I'm sure if Eleanor wins that girls world championship um it's going to be a fair few tears on that stage yeah yeah and as I say I, I don't know the uh the German girl who she's playing but as you say Eleanor certainly been playing very well um so yeah possibly rightly the favorite for that one mm. and she's obviously been playing some of the senior ladies as well which will have given her tremendous experience, I know, out in the Isle of Man and Wales and so on. So, um, yeah, all in all, looks very promising, very exciting, um, and there's a, a lot to look forward to. I will be, excitingly, I'll be there all week, and I will be seeing you there, John. Thank you very much for your your time today, and uh, good luck for your opening round game against Johnny on Saturday. Thank you very much. Pleasure, as always, and thank you for, for having me on the show.